right, I, I want to talk to you about Joshua for a minute before I let you out of these doors. I do, because there's something in, in Joshua that I want you to know. And first of all, I got to tell you about my sixth grade experience. So we've been talking about youth, right? And that was back in the day when I was in sixth grade. It was still part of elementary school. In sixth grade, I would tell stories all the time about uh, exploits that I would have with my grandpa Vanderpool. And one particular story involved a pond, a dock, and a skunk. And the way the story went, the way the story went was my grandpa and I were out trying to get out our fishing gear, et cetera, et cetera, and we're on this dock at this pond, and out of nowhere, this skunk comes up, and I had to jump in the water fully clothed in order to avoid the spray, but Grandpa Vanderpool didn't, and so he got sprayed out the wazoo. And the kicker being that Grandma Vanderpool would not let him stay or sleep in the house for an entire week after that, okay? The class loved these stories that I would tell. There was one problem. None of them were true. <laughs> I, I was a little liar in sixth grade. I was. I know some of you are like, what? I know. I, was, uh, I lied, but they loved them. Uh, junior high, in junior high, I had a temper. I was like a can of Mentos and Coke that someone had shook vigorously, and you never knew when the cap was going to pop. And, and my brother and my mom and my dad would get, boom, all of a sudden, Mentos explosions. It happened, I'm telling you. And then when I was an adult, by the time I became an adult, I learned to filter what I would think or say, you know, so that, you know, filter stuff would come out. But on the inside, I would have these battles where, you know, I remember being in graduate school and being jealous of other students. Well, look at the award and, you know, kudos they got, and I didn't get anything, and wah, you know, the little jealousy thing would pop up. And so I say all that to say I recognize at age 45 I am a mixed bag. And even though I've never murdered anyone or been arrested for drunk driving, I've done things that I would just rather not revisit. <laughs> I've said things that I would rather not have said back to me. And you have too. But the way it works is we have this tendency, we do the comparison game. And so when it comes to the stuff that's on the inside of us that we're not so proud of, we turn to the likes of Justin Bieber. Come on. Isn't it easy? You look at the lives of some people. Let's, let's just cover some things about Justin Bieber and all agree that he's an idiot, right? Okay, so, and I know I just said that in church, right? But we feel better when we can say that about someone else, okay? So I, I made a list of all of Justin, because I'm, I'm not a believer, and so I don't follow him. I had to learn all this stuff on the internet this week. Those of you that are younger are like, you really had to learn about Justin Bieber? Yes, I did. He just doesn't enter my world, okay? Um, he was the first artist to have seven songs from his de debut album chart on the Billboard Top 100. He was Artist of the Year in 2010 and 2012. Uh, he was named by Forbes magazine in 2012 as the third most powerful celebrity in the world, Justin Bieber. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. 2012, arrest, uh, ticketed whatnot for reckless driving in his own neighborhood. Um, in 2013, charged with vandalism in Brazil. This year, arrested in Florida for suspected DUI. Now we got the story. Well, maybe it was drugs and not DUI, da da da, da an expired license and resisting arrest. 
And let's not bring up the time that he pinned a poor pedestrian with his SUV into another car. Yes, he did that, Justin. And the time that he was so drunk he peed in a mop bucket on his way out of a, a, a club or whatnot that was photographed and shared for the whole world to see, you know. So again, some, so, right, we do this, and you all have this look of, man, that is like pathetic. I know. And see, and there is this part of you, and you're like, thank God I'm not that bad, <laughs> right? And so we, we do this sliding scale. But I want to say to you something that, that might be absolutely radical. Even though you may not be as uh, bad as Justin Bieber, you're probably not as righteous as Mother Teresa, right? But here's the good news. Your past does not define you. Your past does not define you. Justin Bieber's past, ultimately, at the end of the day, does not define him. What defines any of us is our faith in God. And I want to peer into the life of a woman who, who comes full bore front page in Joshua chapter 2. So if you brought a Bible, open it to Joshua chapter 2. Because if God could use Rahab, God could use you. If God could save Rahab, God could save you. If God could use Justin Bieber, which he can, God can use you. If God could save Justin Bieber, which he can, God can save you and rescue you. And that's what I want to flesh out today. Rahab, chapter 2 of Joshua. Rahab is one of only two women listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, Sarah is mentioned. Sarah was a godly woman, a founder of the Hebrew race. Rahab was an ungodly woman and who sold her body for money. In James chapter 2, we're told that Rahab is connected with Abraham. And she's connected with, Rab uh, with Abraham because Rahab is an example of the fact that saving faith results in good deeds. And the writer, James, says, well, look at Rahab. There's proof in the pudding that if you get changed on the inside, it affects everything. Um, in Matthew, Rahab is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And so the biggest reason that she, that she pops up throughout the Bible is her faith. She's commended for her faith in God. And again, it's not your past that will define you in life. It's your faith in God that will define you, right? So let's look at this. Uh, scenario of Joshua chapter 2, right? Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there the night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who've come into your house, for they've come here to spy on the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk. The gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gates of Jericho were shut. So Rahab is living in the city of Jericho, and the Israelites are going to come and fight against the city of Jericho. And if, you're, if you grew up in church, you know what happens to poor old Jericho, right? And the walls came tumbling down. It's not a happy thing for the people of Jericho, okay? So these two 
Israelite men are sent in to kind of scope things out, as any military commander wants to know. If you work for the U.S. military today, that's why they have AWACS and other things and satellites. They want to know what's going on before they commit and get involved. It's always good to know before you get involved. Okay, and so that's playing out right here in Joshua chapter 2. The house of a prostitute named Rahab, verse, verse what is it, 1. The, the Hebrew that word there is zona, uh, it, which, which means prostitute, okay? And the Bible, by the way, doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're a temple prostitute or a common prostitute. You're kind of still a prostitute, right? So that's not necessarily, in biblical terms, an honorable thing. Even today, it's not really an honorable thing, all right? And so some people get bent out of shape because Rahab lies. Believe it or not, I read commentaries and whatnot, and they're like, oh, she lied. And I'm like, you're missing the point. That's not why she's commended. She's commended because she had faith in God. So let's look at that. What's the faith that she had that everybody in the Bible gets excited about? And they're like, oh, look at Rahab. Who's this courageous faith woman? Look at her. She's an example. So that's where I want to kind of focus, all right? Let's pick it up, verse 8 and following. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Um, everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt, and we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Ammonite kings, uh, Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you'll let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. All right? She makes this confession. The Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. In other words, Rahab has heard about what this God has done, and it has resulted in her going, yep, if ever there was a God, that's the one, that one, the Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. He's it. He's the God of everything. And she has a recognition that being in Jericho means not good things. All right? So I love it. In verse 9, her, her expression right there is what, the, is what the Hebrews should have all exclaimed. But 40 years earlier, remember the 10 spies who were like, Oh, there's giants. We can't take the land. You mean the God, the supreme God of heavens above and everything? You know, he's not going to be with you he's not going to fight for you Woo! okay so she has she produces a faith statement here that not even the 10 spies 40 years earlier could do and the basis of her faith again is she heard of the mighty acts of god and it started with some kind of knowledge that resulted in a commitment let me bring this to where you and i are right when when you fell in love for the first time it was based on your knowledge of that other person as you were getting to know them, wasn't it? So there was some knowledge, and it activated some things in you, and they're like, I want to pursue this further. Same, similar thing with faith. Faith, you hear about what God has done and what God is doing, and there's this decision, there's these things that happen in your own life where you decide and your heart gets activated. But look at 
her uh, statement in verses uh, 13, uh, 12 and 13. Now swear to me by the Lord that you'll be kind to me and my family. Rahab wasn't just concerned about her own safety. She was concerned about the safety of others. There was an otherness part to her that plays out here. She wants assurances for her family's safety. All right, so let's see how this plays out. And that's uh, verse 14 and following. We offer, these are the spies speaking, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. And then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days for the men that are searching for you. Then when they've returned, you can go your own way. Before they left, the men told her, We'll be bound by the oath that we've taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you've got to leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the streets and are killed, it's not our fault. If anyone lays a hand on the people inside the house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we're not bound by this oath in any way. I love the negotiation going on there. I accept your terms, she says. And then she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there for three days. And then the men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but finally returned without success. Here's the kicker. The two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. The result of going on this trip is that the faith of these spies is encouraged. The faith of Joshua is encouraged. The faith of the Israelites are encouraged. Here's, here's the deal about God's promises. God's promises are sure. That's not the problem. You can take God's promises to the bank. The problem is that we don't always feel like we can count on God. And because we don't always feel like we can count on God, there's where the... The, the misstep things happen. And so notice in God's mercy, he arranges a scenario in which the faith of the spies are encouraged, Joshua's encouraged, the nation of Israel is encouraged. Go fight Jericho, it's okay. They're melting, what a world. I mean, that's their attitude, all right? So let me ask some questions in light of this text, all right? Rahab, Rahab moved from a knowledge of God to trust in God. How did she express that exactly? There was some courage and risk, wasn't there? And there was a decision. I mean, in a very real way, this woman put her life on the line. Because if the authority, Jericho authorities had found out, it would not have played out well for her that she had helped these men from the nation of Israel. How does your faith compare to Rahab's? How would you, how would you stack that up? And then, more importantly, who in your family or circle do you wish to rescue with you? Notice Rahab had that concern, right? Um, I want to bring this to a practical level for you, okay? So here is this thing from Joshua chapter 2, so long ago, ancient history. Here's what I know about you because it's true about me, and we're all the same, human race. Like Joshua... Like the people of Israel, you're going to have moments where you doubt yourself and where you doubt God and where you doubt God's provision and, and you'll doubt that God is for you and with you. 
and you have an unseen enemy who's going to whisper things in a sense in your ear and remind you of your past. He is. You're going to be reminded, who are you to think that God could use you to dot, 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 dot. Rahab's past did not define her, did it? I, I have a series of truth statements. These are the cheesiest things in the world, but I'm telling you, and I know, they're from a guy who's an old man now, and if you, I've got copies of them on the table at the back if you want to take them home with you. It's a list of things that play in my head that are not true, and then it's a truth statement on the right with the scriptures of what God says and what God is, you know, what's really true. Here are just some of the things that I will struggle with with time to time that you will too, that again plague Joshua and the Israelites. I'm unlovable. I'm unacceptable. I'm not worthy. I'm inadequate. I'm a failure. I'm anxious. I'm weak. I'm not very smart. I'm unwanted. I'm depressed. I'm hopeless. I'm alone. I can't reach God. I'm afraid. These are all things that will come up in my heart and in my mind. And then there are the truth statements that are in the scriptures. I am loved. I am accepted. I am worthy. I am adequate. I am victorious. I am free from fear. I am content. I am strong in Christ. I have God's wisdom. I am free. I am totally forgiven. I have been adopted by God and am his child. I have been chosen, set apart by God. I am blameless. I am never alone. I have access to God any time. That's what's real and true. Um, and sometimes God will orchestrate things in your life just like he did in Jericho. And there'll be a, a, a model of provision. You're going to hear next week some stories of people who are going to Turkey who were like, when they sat and they did the finances, they were like, there's no way this is going to happen. And then boom, God provided. And all of a sudden they were like, oh, I can trust God. Okay? It was the feeling thing that God, it was, were God's promises true? Before they agreed to go to Turkey, yes. Were God, can you count on God? Yes. Do you always feel that way? No. <laughs> Just why? This is a faith thing, all right? So that's the first thing. The first thing, a practical thing, is say out loud some truth statements and remind yourself of what's true. And if you want a head start, I've got a two-page. They're on the table in the foyer. Take, take one with you, I'm telling you. I will do this, and I will say these things out loud and read the scriptures. The second thing is this. God's in the rescue business. Here's a city that was condemned, in a sense, by God. And if you struggle with that, talk to me. We'll talk it over coffee. But a city that was condemned by God, and yet a prostitute and her entire family is spared. There's the mercy. And it's a mercy strand. There's a reason that the rope is scarlet. It's reminding people, biblically informed people, of the blood that was around the doorposts of the nation of Israel. When the destroyer came to take away the firstborn children, it's a reminder of the blood shed on the cross that provides a way of escape, a way of rescue. Right? God's in the rescue business. And so I hope there are people within your family and within your sphere that, like Rahab, you want to see rescued with you. But... More than anything, what I want you to know today, if God can save Rahab, the prostitute, from a godless Canaanite city, God can save Max Vanderpool. God can save... If God can use Rahab, then God can use 
you. And you can count on God to come through on everything that he's promised.